The distinction between the human mind and computers is evolving into a new level of connectedness. And according to the New York Times, the first commercial version of a computer chip based on the biological nervous system and capable of learning from its own mistakes will be released this year. Whether this will be the rise of artificial intelligence, as in the Terminator, or a new era of human evolution, that remains to be seen. One thing is clear, though. Science fiction has become science fact. Hi, this is Chapter One, and I'm talking with a very intelligent gentleman. Um, his name is Eric Luthart. He's a neurosurgeon. He is also a scientist, a biomedical engineer, and an author. Eric, uh, how are you today? Doing great. Thanks very much for having me on the show. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I got through your book, Red Devil 4. And, awesome. And my head's spinning, still spinning. <laughs> but I'll tell We're you good. But I'll tell you why. <laughs> I think this is pretty cool, actually. Um, you know, I remember, uh, I don't know how old you are, Eric, but I remember I grew up during the Star Trek days and all this stuff mm-hmm. and uh, the incredible journey where these scientists get uh, microscopically uh, sucked down, injected into the sky. Um, they're in a... They're in like a, a spaceship type thing floating through the uh, um, uh, human body looking for this mm-hmm. brain, brain tumor. Um, this is crazy stuff. Um, I want you to tell us what Red Devil 4 is about before I get into some specific questions, if that's okay. Sounds great. So, so, um, so in terms of the story itself, it's set in the future around 40 years when uh, brain implants, kind of implanted chips in the brain are really um, – kind of as common as cell phones today, that instead of us having tablets, instead of us having uh, kind of our iPhones, that really we just have a simple little procedure, and then suddenly our brain is as accessible as a laptop where we can download experiences and memories and knowledge as if it was an iTunes, or uh, we can communicate with other people by sharing our thoughts. And kind of in this world, uh, there's a series of really uh, brutal murders that happens, that are, and they're all patients of, a, of the main character, Hagen Mayerichi, who's a neurosurgeon in that time. And he himself is working on artificial intelligence. He really has to put his life's work on the line to figure out these murders, because if he doesn't, there's about about to be a rash of more, essentially, kind of mayhem that's going to happen, and really the city of St. Louis is going to fall into chaos. And kind of in that process, I think it, you really kind of explore kind of the, the wow of what happens when uh, neurotechnology really becomes ubiquitous and the scare factor of that as well. Wow. <laughs> Okay, so you're a neuroscientist. You're a neurosurgeon. Um, I suspect you've been working on this technology. Absolutely. Uh, so again, my uh, <clears throat> my day job is that I'm a neurosurgeon, and uh, but I also am a uh, biomedical engineer, and I do I run an engineering laboratory where we where we make brain computer interfaces all the time, and so we really had some of the earliest you know human demonstrations of people controlling devices with their thoughts. Um, we've actually got clinical trials underway right now to restore function in patients with stroke using brain-computer interface technology. So it's it's something near and dear to my heart. And I really, and part of the reason for the book was really to imagine what does the world look like if we're really successful? Because all the stuff that I talk about in my book are really derived from things that are happening in laboratories today. Right, right. Yeah, um, it, well, in the news lately, uh, or recently, we've got... Um, We've got someone working on a um, a lens that's going to go in the eye. It's going to distribute medication. We've got mm-hmm. um, we've got um, stories of um, 
neurosurgeons implanting uh, chips to help uh, uh, synapses and things like that in the brain, right? Or, or that's least, exactly right. Uh-huh, and, which control motor function and everything else, right? Yeah, that's right. So, uh, kind of, for instance, a good friend of mine, his name is Andy Schwartz out at the University of Pittsburgh, he, he implanted a, a construct in a patient with spinal cord injury to allow her to control a robotic limb as effortlessly as if it was her own arm. And again, she's paralyzed um, and uh, has uh, performed some marvelous work now, showing that, again, we can decode some of the fundamental intentions from your brain by looking at the, ac- the electrical activity alone. What about depression, Eric? Um, are we working on... Uh depression because um, there's yes, all ab- forms and absolutely uh, so there's uh, less uh, so there's a number of actually implants that are being worked on for severe depression right now where basically you can put electrodes into very specific places in the brain that are overactive mm-hmm. in depression and, and stimulate them to disrupt some of their activity so that you can actually really treat some severely retract uh, refractive depression. That's gotten, uh, there's been a number of clinical trials going on underway right now for that, and it's incredibly promising. Well, see, I've always been under the, under, or I've, I've been under the understanding um, that um, these receptors, once they're, uh, let's say they're damaged through, you know, drug overdose psychosis or something like that, or trauma, I w- always thought that these receptors have the ability to repair. Um, and, you know, I'm probably wrong, but what, why? Well, you know, I, you're, you're right, actually, mm-hmm. in that. Um, so the way that I think about the brain is that on one side, it's a, uh, it's a biologic organ that's affected by proteins and molecules, right? Mm-hmm. And, but on the other side, it's an electrical organ that's affected by electrical fields and uh, uh, electrical currents. Mm-hmm. And so really historically, for the past 30, 40 years, we, you know, almost exclusively, we focused on the drug side of things. You know, have a create some type of drug that binds to a receptor and it changes some type of physiology. Mm-hmm. But it's really neglected one half of the way that the brain operates, which is electric fields, and that's really what's taking on a whole new life right now. Because if you can manipulate those electric fields, you can have some very potent impact on all sorts of ways that the brain works. Mm-hmm. Okay, and which brings us back to this book. Um, uh, set in the future, uh, but this technology is coming. So um, our society down the road, we're going to have uh, we're going to have people with uh, uh, spinal cord injuries that we could possibly, you know, um, help get restore function restore with function absolutely and motor ability. We've got um, we've got a lot of kids, um, a lot of adults suffering with depression. Um, and, yeah, and that's yeah. that's even just the beginning. You can imagine Alzheimer's. People are creating yeah. artificial chips to replace certain memory organs in your yeah. brain. Yeah. Uh, one can, but I think the interesting thing here is that we're not simply talking about restoration right. anymore. Right. Meaning that maybe as a historical example, like today, you know, you have things like extreme makeover. People are getting plastic surgery. You know, it's increasing like twenty percent per year for the number of people getting augments of various types uh, um, of facial uh, plastic surgery, getting their noses modified. Mm-hmm. And all those technologies were originally created to help people either with breast cancer or who were in traumatic injuries to their faces and to restore their aesthetic uh, um, function, right? You know, so that their faces look normal and that their uh, different parts of their body look normal. Mm-hmm. But that transitioned over the last 20 years to being technology for restoration, now for technology, quite literally, for augmentation. Mm-hmm. 
and and you're going to see that same pathway emerge with uh, uh, neurotechnology where I think right now in the next decade, next decade and a half, two decades, you're going to see an extremely uh, uh, you're going to see an explosion of technology where we we're using electronics to restore function where it's lost in the nervous system. But that's where it starts, you know, where next step is that, well, if it, if it can restore function, why not augment function? Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, and again, that's where it starts to, you know, affect everyone. You remember the show, The Six Million Dollar Man. Of course. Absolutely. <laughs> it's always brought up. Yes. And I don't think it'll be six million dollars anymore. Okay. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah. You know, you know darn well where healthcare is going, at least currently. Um, it's almost out of, out of reach for many, many, many people. Um, so, you know, how, how's this going to be funded? Who's going to pay that for this? That is a great question. And I think you really bring up a very key point. And sometimes I touch on elements of that in my novel. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the augmenting, you know, enhancing technologies aren't going to be covered by healthcare. They are going to be purchased, like, again, like plastic surgery today. Mm-hmm. That, uh, um, and y- it will affect society differently, meaning that uh, uh, higher socioeconomic groups, uh, you know, people who are more wealthy, more affluent, will have more of them. And people who are not will have less of them, and that that has social implications. Meaning, uh, uh, if you have a competitive advantage now uh, because you've got an implant, what does that mean? Uh, what does that mean for you know getting a job and and and, uh, and your ability in society and your mobility in society? Could it further stratify? And in some senses, we see that already today, right? You know, whereas if you look at, for instance, large urban areas versus you know small towns. And you know what? It makes a big difference what type of internet capability you have, right? And if if you're really well connected with you know uh, high throughput you know lines, then you have fast internet connectivity, and that makes a difference for your work productivity. It makes a difference for your access to information. Whereas if you don't have that, you really suffer in the modern economy. So, what happens to the human man down the road? What happens to? We as individuals, we as, you know, star chasers, whatever the heck we want to call ourselves, what, what happens to the human being? If this technology goes, gets to the point where, you know, I, I can see competition, I can see price point stuff, I can see, you know, n- noted uh, uh, clinics or, or stores you can get this compared to, you know, other competitions, um, you know who's 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 who who are going to be able to trust? What's what's the man? What's the psyche of of the human man going to be if if we have these little chips and things controlling? Let's say let's let's say depression or uh, sure. you know bipolarism or something like that. Well, uh, I think one thing and a good way to predict the future is to look at what hasn't changed in the past. Yes, and and to a degree, uh, human nature doesn't change that much. Our technology helps us manifest our human nature, basically helps us express our human nature, meaning I think that there's times that, you know, humans are amazingly generous, amazingly amazingly gifted, creative. Um, There's times when we're not. There's times when we're the opposite. Um, And basically you see the reach and capability of those human intentions magnified by modern technology. And uh, so I don't think we will fundamentally change human nature, but we will change its expression, meaning how do we interact with each other? You know, what is it, you know, how do we collectively think, you know, and think about how our lives have changed with social media and Facebook. 
mm-hmm. in terms of our ability to share kind of our life's events across more people on a more consistent basis. In a lot of ways, that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, in other ways, it's uh, it's a problem. And so, um, so I think again, we we'll get the pluses and the minuses of the technology on both sides. Mm-hmm. You know, um, this technology, and you you touch this uh, a little bit in the book but this technology is interesting to me i'm i'm an ex-military guy you know did my thing in the 70s early 70s but but um from uh from a a defense standpoint uh, i could see i could see us actually developing you know these these incredible warriors you know um step ups from seals and and uh, things like that um Absolutely. That well, is... imagine, I mean, in some senses, imagine taking even one step further where uh, you, you're not so much augmenting the human anymore. You're replacing them with essentially a mobile drone that's controlled by a human. Yeah. You know, it literally is a robotic body that is controlled by an expert seal that is uh, a thousand miles away. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's exciting. I mean, actually, that's exciting. You know, yeah. And sometimes it leads to, you know, optimizing preservation of life, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. um, and so, again, but it also means that maybe there's less of that emotional connection with the opponent, meaning that, you know, that maybe there's less mercy in the future of wars. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, that's a good point, because a true warrior will tell you he never wants to fight. You know, uh, a true soldier never wants to fight. He only fights when he has to. Um, so, right. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, this is very cool. Um, what's also very, very cool, I could see, you know, I could see down the road as we develop this, these microscopic technologies, um, uh, what about treating uh, um, uh, uh, blood clots and uh, things like that in the body? That, that would be so freaking cool, you know, um, interventional. Well, this idea of, uh, and... Ray Kurzweil, he's a person who talks about this, you know, mm-hmm. with nanotechnology. Actually, Isaac Asimov predicted this, you know, 40, 50 years ago, is that as machines get smaller, they will really navigate our bodies like we navigate, like an airplane navigates uh, airstreams today in the sense that uh, having these kind of super, super small technologies that are, you know, doing different things to our physiology by uh, essentially swimming through the highway system of our blood vessels. Mm-hmm. And in, in some senses, you know, I'm, I'm collaborating with a group at uh, MIT right now to do that very thing so that we can have, if you can imagine, brain implants that you, you inject through your arteries. Yeah, yeah, cool. <laughs> so who's going to do the work? Are interventional radiologists going to continue this path, or are we, are we going to see another um, a subgroup of, of this microsurgery from the nerve? Yeah, that's a great question. I Certainly, I think interventionalists are going to lead the way. Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, part of our team that's creating some of these uh, vascular-based constructs are, uh, is a, a really prominent uh, um, neurointerventionalist uh, he, who does all his procedures through the arteries. His name's Colin Dardane. Mm. Um, but you are absolutely right. Are, are we going to see an era of the, uh, the cosmetic neurointerventionalist, where basically you come in for your appointment to get your upgrade? And, uh, and he employs a number of techniques, whether it be through the skin, through the arteries, um, or biologically through pills. Wow. Yeah, I, I'm I'm very excited. All right, now we got another. We, okay, so we've set the stage for this uh, for this technology. Um, your book is set 50 years in the future. Um, you know, the same kind of crap and dynamic that we find in everyday life hap- still happens down the road. Okay, so um, when 
when we get to this point, when we get to this point, you talked about uh, we're going to be shopping for these techniques or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, down the road. Um, so, so it seems like it seems like um, this new emerging population, these young kids that come up, that grew up, you know, in the in the tech world, where someone like me, I'm sixty, I'm, I'm way behind. <laughs> um, it's going to be almost very natural, isn't it? As we grow and learn, as society grows and learn, this is just going to be as common as um, what we do today. You know, that's exactly have. right. Well, if, and you can even see it now, where technology is getting closer and closer to us. For instance, things like Google Glasses, or even you know, the jawbones we wear in our ears. Mm-hmm. I think even fifteen, twenty years ago, that would have been very strange. And whereas you know, we're, everybody now is comfortably wearing you know, their technology. They mm-hmm. literally, you know, are always carrying a computer with them, you know, yeah. with their mobile phones. And we're seeing it coming closer and closer, wearable computing, the notion of quantitative self where we monitor all of our physiology all the time. It's getting closer and closer to us. And again, at some point, it'll break the skin, <laughs> meaning that, it, you know, <laughs> we'll have it implanted to make our lives easier. Yeah, yeah. This this is this is very, very, very interesting. Um, I, I did some uh, I was an otolaryngology tech in the service, so well, I worked with a brilliant guy, um, a couple of brilliant guys um, in the service, and uh, I did a lot of inner ear uh, cochlear work uh, with mm-hmm. some, with some mm-hmm. of these guys. So, so this technology to me is is absolutely fascinating. You know, we're, we're, a lot more kids are being born with birth defects, with with um, motor and. Inca- uh, in capabilities, uh, motor function, you know, coordination stuff. This is really gonna. This is really gonna save some lives, isn't it? I mean, no question, no question. It will. Yeah, and it's gonna in- improve. I think the quality of life and uh, and you know. But again, I the, the whole hopefully, and it, you saw it in the book. I try to paint a, a, a an even picture, meaning mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. you know I'm not just completely saying it's all gonna be great. No, you know, there's there's a cautionary tale there. You know, meaning. What happens if we can hack your brain? Yes. Or what happens when the technology that we create becomes so complex yes. that actually it creates its own technology, which we may not like very much? Meaning, what happens if artificial intelligence happens accidentally? And then yeah. how do we interact with that thing? Because that may not be so good. Yeah. Well, the bad guys are going to try to get gain knowledge and get this uh, technology, right? I mean... Absolutely. Yeah. And and this is what this is what makes this a great read, actually, <laughs> because you've approached this problem, you've approached this uh, futuristic uh, world, very similar to what uh, a lot of very well-known uh, thriller writers uh, write about. You know, David Baldacci writes about you know the current um, threat with uh, with the extremists. Um, uh, you've got uh, Jeffrey Deaver who writes, uh, you know, his books are twisted, man. It's it's all about murder and mayhem, and um, so i i think you've I think you've touched on on uh, something very 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 cool. And as a thriller uh, uh, enthusiast, um, I'm, I'm you know I've never read a book like this, and because it, well, gr- know, I'm thrilled to hear it. No, serious. <laughs> I'm serious. This is this is very cool. This is very and, cool. And that was the goal. You know, I really wanted to uh, uh, create a world that you could taste, feel, really, you know, mm-hmm. and it, it holds you, it grips you, you know, it horrifies you at times. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, kind of to really walk you through kind of a world that, you know, is approaching us rapidly and to, you know, give you a sense of that. And you can answer the question on your own terms whether you like it or don't, you don't like it. Right, right. Well, I kind of like 
you know, there are many, many things that I like the, how the world is evolving. Of course, there's, you know, some concerns. Um, but the, but this, this to me, this technology in this book has a, uh, uh, has a very realistic yet uh, plaus- and unrealistic viewpoint, but very, very plausible. And um, That's exactly it. Yes. I, I really enjoy books that are plausible because if they're just, you know, not, not reachable, forget about it. It's, it's too much. That's right. So, you know, a, a guy like me, uh, 60, um, this is a cool book because, like, again, I grew up on the Star Treks and, you know, it, it's also very amazing to me to talk to people like you, to an individual like you, Eric, who's got, and I mean this in all sincerity, um, guys like you who write these types of fiction have, you know, it's almost like, you know, you're way ahead of your time, man. You know, I mean, you, you've got, you've, you've got something in you that that opens up a, a world that that we don't think about uh, on an everyday basis. And I well, well, thank you very much. And certainly that in part that was also kind of one of my motivations. Again, just as some background, you know, I studied both biology and theology, hmm. and I think you know one of the great ways that we as a society learn is through our tales, right? You know, and whether it be the stories in the Bible or even some of our great myths today, which are, you know, uh, Star Wars. Mm -hmm. But these stories kind of really allow people to really think about the future and think about themselves more than just a lecture, more than just a scientific paper, you know, because they really, they engage us emotionally, which is the way that we truly learn. Right, right. I love it, man. And uh, you know what? We're gonna we're gonna leave it on that high note because <laughs> I've got just a couple more minutes left. Um, l- listen, Eric, um, it- it's been great talking to you, um, folks. Um, get your hands on Red Devil Four. It's a great read. Um, it's it's a great read from a uh, thriller stand- standpoint, a, uh, a medical technology standpoint. Um, it's very very intelligent. It's very easy to read. Um, I'm stupid, and I still got it, so I like it. <laughs> um, but, Eric, thank you very much. Um, My pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, and, and uh, where where are we going to uh, – I'm sure you're all over the web, you know. Um, where, Absolutely. So, buy so your you book, find, buy your book, buy your book. <laughs> yeah, so you can find it on Amazon, iTunes. Um, you, if you want to find out more about me or my book uh, or kind of my blog, it's on www.reddevil4, the number 4, .com. And uh, so, again, just reddevil4.com, and uh, it'll direct you wherever you need to go and also give you some background and some deeper insights into the, kind of my, my various you know, neuroscience and technology musings. Folks, thanks a lot. Uh, this is Greg Grasso with Chapter 1. We're talking with Eric Lothart and uh, Red Devil 4, a great read uh, from a great neurosurgeon and uh, bioengineer. Thanks a lot, folks. Thank you.